Good afternoon. You are listening to the Grit and Grace Recovery Hour talk radio show that is being brought to you by the Rockdale County Stepping Up Initiative. You can continue listening to us on the CAT 10 ENT network by downloading the His Hop Radio app. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the show. the Grit and Grace Recovery Hour. Once again, this is Bill and Tanisha, and we are here to bring you information, resources, and hopefully revelation about a lot of things. Tanisha, say hi to the people out there in Radio Land. Hello, everyone out there in Radio Land. We are very grateful, grateful to come back before you again, and hopefully you are having an awesome, awesome week. And with that being said, as we always say, and I know we always say the same thing, but we always do the same thing too. We got a real treat for y'all this afternoon. (laughs) It gets better and better and better. But before I get off to the cosmos, I would be remiss if I didn't first shout out our sponsor, the Stepping Up Initiative, shout out the His Hop Nation, shout out the Hurricane Maine. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be on this platform Shout out to our Commissioner Williams, who is the tip of the spear for the Stepping Up Initiative. The Stepping Up Initiative is a national initiative that has been adopted here in Rockdale County that is designed to reduce the number of people in jails that have mental health, substance use disorders, and all those other things that help people end up there. And we know that that doesn't happen inside the walls of the jail exclusively. We know that happens in our community, and that's what we're doing. We're doing our absolute best to create change, to facilitate change, to talk about change, and to bring you the evidence of change. With that being said, today, I know y'all done been to the mall. Everybody's heard of Orange Julius. I don't know. That probably makes me date myself because I don't know if they have that anymore, but what we do have We have Julius Campbell with us this afternoon, and you guys are in for a real treat. So, ladies and gentlemen out there, Radio Land, buckle up your seats and get ready because we get ready to take a ride. Uh, Julius, could you tell the people your name and tell them why you came here with us this morning? Well, first of all, good evening, good evening, good evening. My name is Julius Campbell. I'm coming to you from Savannah, Georgia. And one of the reasons why I'm so excited about being here with you today is because of our common denominator, incarceration, and our desire to stop it and to bring awareness to those who are in and those who are coming out. I just did a 26-year prison stint in the Georgia prisons, and now I've been home for two years. And in those two years, God has been opening doors for me to create dialogue and to help. Wow, that is so powerful, man. And and I want to just welcome you home because my name is Bill. I'm a person in long-term recovery as well. And today I happen to be a forensic peer mentor. And to be a forensic peer mentor, that means you have to have been incarcerated at some time. And so for me, it was over about 15 years. So man, it is just so good that we're in the free world and we are facilitating change. And we're here. We First of all, we live by the grace. Exactly. We live. That's why we call this grit and grace. Because you got to have grit to do the bid and you got to have grace to make it. I'm just saying. So so with that being said, uh, Brother Julius, I, I want to I ask you a couple questions. Mm-hmm. But first of all, because they all know that we're in recovery and they all know that that we have been renewed, redeemed, restored, transformed, and all those things. Can you tell us what your life was like when you were on the dark side, before you came across, before the bid, before incarceration, before all that, before you found the light? Tell us about Julius in the dark. Well, basically, no self-control and fun. Those were my guidelines, if you will. I didn't want control. I just wanted to enjoy life. And then in that, I wanted to have fun. I was raised in a single parent home. 
So I'm sure you and your audience know, you know, the history behind that. And as I was growing up, I went to prison when I was 20. So at the age of 16 to 19, I was just feeling myself, as they say. And as I was feeling myself, I was making a lot of foolish choices. My drug of choice was uh, marijuana and also alcohol. I drank. I was not what you would call a alcoholic. I just loved drinking. I don't know if that's an oxymoron or what, <laughs> but nevertheless, I, 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 those were the two things I did. I, I smoked weed and I drank. And of course, you know, we clubbed at that age and we just partied. And so in the midst of doing those things, I made consistent poor choices. And in the midst of making those consistent poor choices, I ultimately took the life of a young man. And that began my dark season, if you will, that wilderness experience. Yes, yes, yes. And, and, so, I, and, and so I guess that's a, a great transition into, so during that transition, somewhere in there, Brother Joy appeared. So get, give the people out there a little insight on Brother Joy. Okay, well, wow, you, know, you surprised me on that. Uh, basically, when I was incarcerated, I was 20, as I stated before, and I was facing a lot of time, but I did not know how much time I was facing. And so what I did was I recognized that my choices had destroyed not only my life, but another young man's life and all the families that surrounded us, if you will. So it was at that time that I said, you know what, Lord, my way isn't working. I want to do it your way. And so I moved from one of the rough parts of the jail to a part of the jail that was called the chaplain's dorm. And while I was in the chaplain's dorm, I learned and develop a relationship with my Lord and Savior. That's the grace aspect that you've been talking about. And in the midst of that grace, that's when I started studying, counseling, growing, maturing. And while I was doing that, I was changing, but the circumstances around me remained the same. And so one day when I called home, that's when I found out that they were seeking the death penalty. And it was at that moment that I just, I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to say. So I walked into my cell, got on my knees, and I began to pray. And I began to seriously, sincerely cry out to God. And when I finished praying, I heard a song on the radio said, everything is going to be all right. And from that moment on, that's when I recognized God's joy. And people in the jail system, at that time, they said, listen, we already know that they're, what they're trying to do to you, but we see it smiling on your face. And from that moment, it dubbed me Brother Joy. And from that moment in 1993 until today, 2021, that name has stuck. Does that say that I don't have difficult days or difficult situations? No. Does that mean I have a smile plastered on my face? No. It just means that because of my relationship with Christ, I can experience joy. Man, that is so, that's so incredible. And you know, that's something about the joy of the Lord. It is our strength. You know, people say that all the time about me, man, you know, I hear people say, you know, every day can't be a good day, you know? Right. And then I say to them, I, I choose to disagree with that <laughs> because True. every day in the free world is working pretty well for me. Now, like you say, are there some challenges? Yeah, I choose to let my challenges make me stronger. I choose to let the storms just kind of keep me cool instead of keeping me hot, you know? I, and, and I choose to just continue to walk forward. So I'm grateful to hear that. So I'm going to ask you another question. Tell us a little bit about bitter or better. Well, incarcerated. A lot of officers or staff, they don't recognize the power that they have. God-given power, but many of them use it wrong. And while I was there, I recognized that I can either A, I can become bitter, or I can become better. Now, granted, these decisions alone were not mine because I was a brand new creature, as the scripture said. And so 
I chose to become better. So what did I do in my role? I like to use that word, wilderness experience, just like the children of Israel. I chose to allow difficulties to mature me. I chose to grow in the midst of my struggles. And so in doing so, I got my education while I was incarcerated, a college degree. Uh, I was blessed to have that. I became a mentor while I was there. I facilitated classes. I was a counselor. Uh, everything that was asked of me, I did. Plus, I took the initiative to do things for my own benefit. I used to coin a phrase called progressive preparation. And what that means, while I am where I am, I know that I'm going further. And so I need to prepare myself progressively so that when that day comes, I will be who I was supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing. So that's why I say my mindset is better, not bitter. And many men and women in prison have that same mindset to become better. I would just encourage those uh, that are, whether they're officers, staff members, or what have you, to recognize the power and authority that God has given to them. And then in doing so, they can make a major positive impact on the lives of those that are behind the bars. Yes. And, and you know, one of the things that we all know, and for all the people out there in radio land, we want to make sure that, that we get this point across that incarceration and all of those negative concepts and principles that attack our societies and the people in our societies today, they don't just affect the person, but they affect the, the entire community. They impact the family. And, and, you know, just some of the impacts of incarceration. Could you speak a little bit about what are some of the impacts of incarceration? Oh, I mean, I actually wrote a article one time called Addiction and its Impact on Mass Incarceration. And to preface that, there are four primary reasons why we have mass incarceration. Number one, mental health. You know a lot about that. Number two, we have addiction, substance abuse. Number three, privatized prison, making money. But number four, recidivism. And so when you ask the question, and that is, what are some of the impact, negative impacts that incarceration has? Number one, it destroys families. There are mo many statistics that I won't really get into right now, but uh, single parent homes are a result of mass incarceration. Lack of education. Do you not know that it is a high probability that if a parent, be it a father or a mother, is incarcerated, that that child is less likely to A, complete school, is more likely to B, be incarcerated, uh, and then also suicide rate. So incarceration affects us negatively, but it does not. And I want to emphasize this, and then I'll let you ask another question. Incarceration is not good, but in some cases it is necessary. necessary. And so what we need to do is we need to reform prison so that re rehabilitation becomes the primary goal when people go to incarceration. That is not the case now. It is more punitive than it is rehabilitative. And so therefore, there are so many uh, ways that incarceration affects us in a negative manner. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you know, it's a sticky wicket, man. And, and I'm, that's one of the reasons why I'm glad I ain't a judge. <laughs> I do a lot of work with judges today, you know, do a lot of work with people that have to make those crucial decisions. And, and you know, I think that there, I think we're coming to a place today where we realize that, man, tr it truly takes a village. It truly takes more than one person to be able to make a competent decision about any situation or any person, especially when we're talking about the, a person, the extent of a person's life. And, and I think that's why it's so important that our systems become recovery-oriented systems of care or that the voice of recovery is involved in the thing. Because I heard a wise man once say, treatment, not captivity. And you probably remember that guy. Yes. <laughs> so, can you, <laughs> so can you give me a little background on that, what that guy meant when he said treatment, not captivity? Well, 
we must be honest. There are consequences to poor choices. That's, that's biblical and that's also secular and social. So when I say treatment, not captivity, the mass incarceration, mental health, and also substance abuse, these individuals, they need doctor care. And I guarantee you, if there were a mechanism, I don't even want to use the word program, but if there was something that was in play that will systematically and intentionally communicate, dialogue with these individuals, they themselves were recognized this man or this woman does not need 20 years in prison. What they need is probably 20 months or two months in a recovering program or something of that effect or mental health issues. These people don't need life sentences or 30 years. What they need is a mental health counselor, someone that can speak to them and, and navigate them through these difficult challenges. And I guarantee you, this is a passionate point for me. If any logical thinking man or woman was spent one day in the prison system, they too will come to that conclusion. You're right about <laughs> you're right about that. If they make it to the honey bun part or if they make it to chicken day, <laughs> if they spend three chicken days, they will come out with a whole different perspective, I bet you. We would like to thank our leader, Commissioner Dr. Doreen Williams, the Rockdale County Sheriff's Office, along with other numerous partners and stakeholders that are taking the initiative to create change for the Rockdale County recovery community. We know that it takes all parts of a community to carry out this vision, and together we are strong. Shout out to Commissioner Williams. Shout out to the sheriff's department, uh, the sheriff's office here in Rockdale, because they have they have sanctioned and let us bring recovery programming into the jail. And, and because I know that for me, um, sometimes to be one, I needed to see one. Yeah, that's sort of I'm from Missouri, so to speak. You have to show me, you know what I'm saying? And, and I had a lot of people showing me a lot of negative principles, but I didn't have anybody showing me the way out. You know right. what I'm saying? Because I thought the way out would have to be a tunnel, right? <laughs> but that's the only way out they ever tried to show me was breakout. You know what I'm saying? And, and today, you know, we're trying to bring that messaging in. And, and so shout out to T because she is, uh, she's like Rumpelstiltskin. She's been sprawling to gold. She takes digital media and in and, and my words and, and, and all the innovation and all the programming that we got and she puts it in fancy packages so that it pops, you know what I'm saying? Right. So that recovery is on fire and we bring that inside the jail. And, and, you know, I remember the first time I went in there into the pod and I was talking to the guys and they said, well, if we can get six people to sign up, then we can start the program and 40 signed up. You wow. feel me? Because yes. that buck necky, you know what I'm saying? People, the truth will set you free. And, yes. and you know what I'm saying? And, and you know, I think that in their best efforts, you know, they forget in their best efforts, they sometimes miss the, the, the message that when you create something for me without me, it's yours, it's not mine. And, and then yes. you wonder how come I won't do it? You know what I'm saying? If, if they have, I had a quarter for everybody that told me, Bill, you need to get yourself together. You're a smart guy. You know what I'm saying? And, and I didn't know what together meant. For me, I thought together meant just not going to jail that day. I didn't mm -hmm. know that it meant I could be free. It, I didn't have a perspective on destiny. I didn't have a perspective on any of that stuff. I only had a perspective that I needed another hit or I needed another drink and I needed to watch out for the police. You know what I'm saying? Because that's what I had been taught. That's what I had become. And the minute, you know, the minute I would get in the police car and I realized that I was going to jail, the first thing that I would say is, excuse me, y'all. I got Walter talking to my watch. Uh, the first thing that I would say when I got into the back of the police car is, yo, Sarge, what time is chow? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> 
I just automatically started jailing the minute I realized, because see, I wasn't getting ready to get bonded out because I'd already burned all my bridges. And so when I heard you in one of your digital medias, and it was, I think, the Decatur TED Talk, and when I heard you do that, and shout out to you, and I'm going to make sure that you give people the location so that everybody can hear that. That was extremely powerful, and because you're right, we all need to link hands sooner <laughs> rather than later, because when we link hands later, and T and I have said this in many of our collective meetings, that that red tape turns into yellow tape. Yes. See? And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And all that old show business. Well, we can't do that now. And we're looking toward you know all that. Just more people die, and people are dying. Man. And, and you know, recovery saves lives. One of the things, and I'm gonna ask you later why you're so passionate about this. But I know that. As I was listening to your, I think it was your other media that you had on there, and you were saying, in the, in the latter part of my life, I have dedicated my life to this, you know, and so, you know, I, I didn't dye my hair gray for this interview, you know what I'm saying, and in, in the latter part of my life, man, if everybody either needs a miracle or they have to be 60, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? That's a sad state of affairs because our deliverables should have the expectation of miracles built into them. If you don't believe it, then you probably shouldn't be designing. You know what I'm I saying? Agree. Yes. So I, I say that to say this, you know, um, let me ask you a question. How did you make it? 26 years. 26 years is a long time. How did you make it? What helped you sustain it? You know, what were those things that just kind of, and, and I know that it's a God thing, but what were some of the things that really facilitated your longevity through that, that amount of time? Well, as you stated in everything, faith is first. God is the sole source of my sound mind right now. So faith first, but also my future. I had a vision of what I would be and who I would be for the years to come. And I'll expound on that a little more, but also family. My family helped me to get through this. From day one, my family has been by my side. Now my reality may not be the same as other people's reality. My transition from incarceration to uh, freedom was smooth because I had those key components. I had family support. I had faith support and community support and stable housing painful employment. I had all of those things because of my family that was there for me. And so faith, family, but my future, I believe that I was going to do like what you're doing right now, be hope to someone else, to allow someone to hear my story. And once they hear my story, they know that if he can make it, so can I. What we have is a, I have a returning citizen support group, and we do this on, on Wednesday nights. And a returning citizen is those who have been incarcerated, whether it was 20 years ago or 20 days ago. And what we do is we provide a platform. What we're doing is changing the narrative, like you just said. And when I say changing the narrative, so often because of recidivism, people, society believe that, well, they got out, they're coming right back. But you and I can change that narrative because now we have a platform saying, we may have started out wrong, but we can all finish strong. And that's what I do. And thank you for giving me that opportunity on your uh, broadcast right here to say that the narrative is changing. Many returning citizens are successful, be it in business, be it in their own organization, or just successful in staying out. We are changing the narrative. So it's faith, family, my future as well that helped me to maintain the sanity that I have. And you know something, I wanna thank you so much for saying that, you know, because when I came out and when I went through mine, A, I did not have family, B, I did not have faith, and B, I did not have a perception on me having a positive future because I thought I was James Cagney. Look, Ma, top of the world. I thought I had to blow myself up on the petroleum tower. I thought that's what my destiny was, right? I was locked into the stupid tank, right? And, and you know, and that's why grace, 
that's why that's why who I am today because for me the wake up came much later right. <laughs> for me the impetus for my recovery was after I got out and then I did a couple little chippy bids you know just on paying stupid tax and then I ended up and I had 15 hanging over my head and I panicked man because I was on a accountability probation Mm-hmm. And, and I had 15 years hanging over my head. I had a, a dope habit that had to have another hit. And, and I realized, you know what? I'm getting ready to go do a 15 and I'm 50. Now, I ain't that good at math. But when you when you have 15, <laughs> when you have 15 to 50, boy, it starts getting serious, man. And, and that's when I said, you know what? I need some help. And, and I ran for help. And like you were saying, what was interesting about that returning part, when I went and ran for help, they wasn't taking me because of my, I got this extensive criminal history spanning four decades. You know, I was all of those scary things that people talk about. I was Mr. Recidivism. I was even recidivist for riding a bicycle without a headlight. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like <laughs> the next time I leave the house, I'm going to jail for 15, you know, and, and I panicked. And the only place that I could go was to the anonymous people. The only people that let me in their room was the anonymous people. And shout out to the Alcoholics Anonymous. Shout out to Narcotics Anonymous. You know what I'm saying? They let me in, right? And, and I was I was scared and tragic and, and all of those things. And, and I had to keep it a secret. I had to keep what was going on inside of me a secret and just say, oh, yeah, I drink. I'm here. You know what I'm saying? And just trying to hide from the police in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Trying to hide from the police in the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous. Trying to hide from a 15-year bid. You know what I'm saying? When you're a criminal on the inside. And when you don't have God inside you, man, oh, Lord have mercy. The enemy rules and reigns. And you're just a sitting duck. So when I hear you talk about those things that were valuable and those things that, that facilitated your ability to make it through that, Those are things that have to be incorporated and baked into our treatment modalities and that returning citizen communication modality. And all of these things have to be connected. Because like you say, you know, I've I've got a couple of dimes over lunch money today. But when I fill out an application to buy a house, then people are like, oh, my God, you know what I'm saying? Not in my backyard, not him. You know what I'm saying? So the struggle is real. We are proud to announce that by the contributions, talents, and skills of our very own recovery community members, today we are able to invite you to stay connected with us and recovery resources by visiting our website, www.rockdalesteppingup.com. So I want to ask you another thing, and I, I know that you mentioned a little bit about recovery for returning citizens. Right. So I want to ask you, tell us kind of what you're doing down there in Savannah, should I say, tell us what you're doing and and what your vision for the future is. I'm I'm glad you asked me that because you said something just now and and I will uh, paraphrase it, but the package, the people will receive something with a good package. The package must be relevant and relatable. And I say that because a lot of people are not listening to those that have never been in trouble, that have never experienced struggle. And so, and that's why a lot of our young people today are closing their ears to counseling and mentoring. And so I learned something. I learned this, that lived experiences or shared experiences opens the door for attention. What do I mean by that? When somebody hears, especially a young person, that you did 26 years, how did you do that? That opens the door for me not to boast or gloat, but that is a teachable moment. A teachable moment for A, my faith, but also for B, their future. And, And so I just believe that we ought to tell our story. And so that's what I've been doing. Since I've been home, I had a beautiful opportunity to do a TED Talk, as you've seen, 
shouts out to uh, Dan Ingram. Uh, he is the director of a nonprofit called a Globalization. And what he does is he gives people a platform to tell their story. But what else do we do? We provide a safe space for men and women that have come home from prison. And we allow them to tell their story, but also to hear someone else's story. From a biblical perspective, the Bible says we overcome by the word of our testimony. But also from a secular position, when you hear that Bill made it or Julius made it, then that encourages you to know that you can make it also. So we provide education, we provide employment, we provide uh, encouragement at our OAA. OAA is acronym for Offender Alumni Association. That is a nonprofit that has been started in Alabama. Also, it moved to Atlanta. And then we just opened up a branch here in Savannah. And what we do is we are bringing returning citizens together to help reduce recidivism. So I have also partnered with a young lady, uh, Angela. She has a youth organization called TIP, Talented Individuals with Power. And what we've done is we have collaborated with a holistic nonprofit. What she does is she's partnered with the Department of Juvenile Justice so that we can mentor young juveniles and prevent them from going to jail and prison. But also we get it from the backside and we help men and women that are coming from prison, we help them to re-enter society again. So that's what I've been doing since I've been here, just providing a platform changing the narrative and providing support for returning citizens. And one other thing I would say, and this is important to me, you said it also, when you try to share your story, at first you were denied because of your background, but thank God for grace that opened the door for you to go in and share your story without a resume, you know, without any of that back training. You were given that opportunity, and now look where you are today. But I believe that that same opportunity uh, should be granted to, and hear my words, positive, credible messengers. Have you ever heard of that organization, Credible Messengers? I believe I have. Well, and, and it started out of New York, and it found its way to Alabama and also Atlanta. But Credible Messengers are those men and women that have come home from prison, returning citizens, that are doing very well, positively sharing their story, and they are now trying to get an opportunity to go back into the jails, juveniles, and prisons and share their story. Hence, Credible Messengers. And so that's something that we have been trying to do. Of course, COVID has closed the doors of jails and prisons, but guess what? The doors are coming open again. And so we need to be ready and prepared to do just what you have been doing for the longest, sharing your story and helping others to find hope. Absolutely. And so Julius, I heard you say something in one of your messaging opportunities. You said release did not end my sentence. Can you give some people some insight on what that means? Well, for those returning citizens, they know exactly what that means. When we come home, the stigma of incarceration or prison follows us, almost like a scent, if you will. For example, when I went to go get my own place, like I said, I had family support, gainful employment. I'm ready to start over. And so now I want to get my own place. But I was repeatedly denied housing because of my background check. And so did you know that the fastest homeless population right now growing is returning citizens? Why is that? Because many men and women are being denied housing because of their past. And so that's why I said that stigma and also employment. Now, there are some that are coming home and they're getting those low-level entry jobs, but those jobs that, you know, pays, gainful employment, careers, they are hindered because of the background. Granted, I will say this, things are changing. That's a blessing. Yes. But again, the stigma of incarceration follows men and women when they come home, and we have to change that. 
you're absolutely right. And I had the opportunity to do some messaging and do some work with the Georgia Justice Project, Second Chance. And, and I know that their whole platform is they provide documentation for people who are returning citizens who are trying to get apartments and they provide this whole messaging uh, documentation that is legalized so that they can present that to send it up the ladder to corporate and a lot of those entities and a lot of those entities corporate I don't know them they probably got a trash can full of those however <laughs> you know because I remember they told me yeah go ahead and fill it out you know but uh, I think one of the things that people underestimate is that today there's a a hundred dollar or a fifty dollar application fee right okay so if I go broke putting in application fees and getting turned down. And, and then I'm stressed out and the veins are sticking out of my head. And they said, see, I told you he was still a little aggressive. You know what I'm saying? You, you know what I'm saying? And you know, to your point, when I get a chance to go in there and talk with those guys and, you know, and when they look at us today, they can't picture who we were. And, and that's right. the grace, right? And that's the power of this God we serve. Because as a friend of mine once said, you went through the fire and you don't smell like smoke, right? But when I tell them that, you know, I popped a few sockets and made a little bit of buck myself, you know what I'm saying? Then they got, oh man, oh, wow. you know, and the CEO is looking like, don't be tell them about that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's happening, you know what I'm saying? And having indigent envelopes, not being able to make a store call. Right. And the exasperation and, and the humiliation and uh, that pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization that takes place. And yes. then, like you say, because of the societal parameters that have been placed on us and that squeeze the life out of us, people are forced to return to that type of degradation. And people say, well, he must have wanted it. No, he must not have any other alternatives. You know what I'm saying? We're not addressing those core issues you know, that people really end up incarcerated about. You know, for many, many years, I've cycled, recycled, and recidivized in and out of jails, institutions, and near-death experiences. And I think the tragic part about it was I didn't even know why. I just thought that's what I do. I didn't know why. I didn't know that because I grew up in an orphanage, I was raised by wolves, I didn't have the nurturing of parents, either father or mother, because I was just disconnected from the whole system of positive values. And then no wonder I ended up being James Cagney. You know what I'm saying? No right. wonder I ended up look, like thinking that standing on top of a petroleum tower and blowing myself up to escape incarceration looked like a really glorious, glamorous idea, right? right. Wow. That's got to suck. But, you know, so my point is, and once again, this is Bill and Tanisha and Julius coming to you with the grit and grace of recovery hour. Today, we have an opportunity to have Julius Campbell with us, who is a returning citizen, who is one of the people that is joining our ranks. And so I would just like to shout out to the Georgia Mental Health Consumer Network. The Georgia Mental Health Consumer Network are the sponsors of the Certified Peer Specialist Project, which is people with lived experience that now become gainfully employed and they are employed in the areas of mental health. Shout out to the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse who have the Certified Peer Specialist Program for Addictive Disease. Once again, shout out to the Georgia Mental Health Consumer Network because they also have the Forensic Peer Mentor Project that falls up under their purview. So for all the people out there in Radio Land, if you go on the Georgia Mental Health Consumer Network website and look under the CPS project, go on there, find the Forensic Peer Mentor Project, find out those entryways to this. Because a lot of people, one another barrier that a lot of people have when they're starting to look for jobs is that criminal history. I have an extensive criminal history spanning four decades, and that was monumental, an albatross around my neck. When I went to look for employment and people said, do you have a criminal history? And I said, yes. And I remember when the lady said, do you have felonies? I said, yes. She said, well, how many felonies do you have? And I told her, you know, to be honest with you, ma'am, I lost count a long time ago. And she said, are you trying to be funny? No, I'm not trying to be funny, ma'am. 
I'm telling you the buck naked truth, you know? And, and so with those certifications, there is an automatic waiver process that's built in by the Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Disability so that people that have those, because when they talk about lived experience, I don't think you could have done what I did and not end up in jail unless you were really good at it or something. But <laughs> if you were doing it as frequently as I was, I think Dale is, <laughs> if you're driving up and down the street at three o'clock in the morning with no license, eventually you're going to jail. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Especially if you were gritting your teeth and sweating like I was. So, you know, when I was able to get that waiver, well, for me, I had to get a waiver from the governor because they didn't have the process yet, but now they have a process that's baked into it. And that is a gateway for a lot of people to get employment. So with that being said, Julius, tell us what, what is it that you are passionate about? And I know that we've talked about our incarceration and I know we've talked about the returning citizen thing. So I would like to kind of go back kind of to the beginning and we kind of talked about what it was like for you on the dark side. What was it that motivated you to come out of the dark into the light? What was the motivation? Well, of course, as I stated before, faith primarily was my motivation. But as an African-American, I recognized that when I was incarcerated, it was almost like everybody around me was the same color that I was. And that's a problem. Because if all of us are incarcerated, then that means there's very few of us that are on the outside. And if there's very few of us that are on the outside, then the procreation aspect is really going to be cut down. And so I say, you know what? God has given me a gift with my mouth. Right now, I'm an ordained minister. Uh, I'm a motivational speaker. I am a mentor. And so speaking is a passion for me. I did it first through poetry and then through counseling. And now my oratory skills have uh, matured as a speaker and as a minister. And so what I said I want to do was every opportunity that God gave me to talk, I was going to use it, whether it was in the church or on the outside of the church, secular or sacred. I wanted to use this gift that God has given to me. And so that has been my passion. When I was incarcerated, I used to go down to the mental health area. I, I was at Phillips for about seven years. Phillip has one of the largest mental health departments that there is incarceration. And so what I would do is I would go down to the mental health area and I would just sit down and, and just listen to my brothers, but also I would share with my brothers. And I went from there to Augusta State Prison. You know, Augusta State has one of the our largest mental health and also physical, physical health. Yeah. Exactly. And so I would go there and I would lis listen to the men and I would talk to the men and encourage the men. So everywhere I went, I tried to listen and then encourage. And now that I'm on the outside, the same platform has been afforded me. Uh, I get an opportunity to listen and then share as a mentor. We have a group of young men and women that we just try to encourage and motivate. So that's what I want to do. Everything behind me is to motivate, be it through my speech or through my behavior. I want to let people know that returning citizens are different. So what I want to ask you were, who were some of the people and what was some of the communication that inspired you? What were some of the programming that inspired you. I heard you say you went and got your degree. I heard you say you got, you know, you got your training. What was it? What were some of the programs that you used that supported your recovery, both while you were in and some that you use now that you're out? Okay, excellent question. Uh, number one, chaplains. Shouts out to chaplains. I believe that chaplains have the greatest job in the world. Why? Because they mediate between those behind the wall and those of us on the outside. And when you have the ability to restore or reconcile relationships, that is an awesome job. So there have been many chaplains in my life over the duration of the 26 years that I was there. Um, from the jail, Chaplain Bob Emmett, to prison, Chaplain Robert Cash, 
and then Chaplain Don. Uh, just so many chaplains have been in my life. Chaplain Katie Wright, but also there were volunteers that came into the prison that either A, taught secular classes, counseling, peer pressure, things of that sort, to volunteers that came and preached to us. I believe that those men and women that sacrificed their time to come in and tell their story, it was either their story or the greatest story of all, and that is of Jesus Christ. So chaplains, volunteers, and there were even some staff members that played a role in uh, my life while I was incarcerated. They saw me as a person, not as a prisoner. That makes a, uh, a huge difference in a person's life when they see you as a person and not just as a prisoner. So those were the men and women that were very instrumental in my life. Of course, my family. Yes. Uh, again, I cannot help but continue to reiterate, and I will use this moment for those family members who has a loved one that's incarcerated. I encourage you, be intentional in their lives. I mean, I'm not talking about money. If it's a letter, call the institution and ask the chaplain how they're doing. Get involved in their rehabilitation, if you will, because you play a huge role in whether they will return bitter or better. Yes, 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 yes. Tell it like it is. We would like to take a moment to acknowledge some of our partners in recovery. We are appreciative partners of the Georgia Mental Health Consumer Network and would like to acknowledge them for providing peers with mental health resources and opportunities to become certified peer specialists in specific domains of their recovery. You can visit their website by going to www.gmhcn.org. We are also proud to be in partnership with the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse. They provide multiple recovery resources in the CARES Support Warm Line. You can visit their website by going to gasubstanceabuse.org. So I was listening to you speak and just, you know, I have had my share of not prison time, but in and out of jail. Also had a brother who did some prison time. And that also put me in the place of being a family member of a person, you know, who, who did prison time. So I, I see exactly what you're saying to be supportive of those people. I remember visiting my brother several times. And one big thing that I, I knew was to try to keep him encouraged. And one way I did that through, through was books. You know, I always sent him books and shout out to Bookman here. <laughs> um, <Hey. laughs> so my question, I guess, would be because you were talking about, you know, rehabilitation and the importance of that in the criminal justice system. What would be some things, either that some steps that you took while you were incarcerated to rehabilitate yourself or um, things that people who are still in the prison system could do to like, rehabilitate themselves, whether it's reading books. That's one thing that I took too. I know the selection of books weren't great um, when I was in, in jail. You know, I would read whatever I could get my hands on. But, um, you know, just some things that we could think of outside of the box that, because, you know, the saying of do the time, don't let the time do you. You know, sometimes you have to be able to be positive and you need people on the outside too to keep you positive. What are some of those things that you could do if you're incarcerated or you're in the criminal justice system that could keep you, you know, in a positive way and that could rehabilitate you or take those steps before you get out. Okay. Uh, as always, I am a huge proponent of faith. I would say faith and education. Now, let me tell you why I say it in that order, because I heard Robbie Zachariah, one of my, um, he's an apologist who just died, one of my heroes. And he said, if you give a person education, if you don't change their way of thinking in their heart, they were stealing from the train. But if you allow them to come out with education, but with no change mind or change heart, they're going to steal the train. And so therefore, we have to use faith and education. Faith changes the mindset and the heart of the individual. Education helps them to learn how to be a better them. And so I would say that those are the two main proponents for a change or rehabilitation for an individual 
incarcerated is learn about yourself, but also get education. If you don't have your GED, get your GED. If you got your GED, get you some uh, cert certificate, certification. If you don't have cert certification, go to college. I know that a lot of people that were on the street, the community was upset because a lot of men and women in, in prison were getting those opportunities to get degrees. But guess what? If they don't change in there, they're coming back to be your neighbor. Would you not want a neighbor whose mind is changed and who's educated versus someone who is bitter? And so I would say that that's the first thing I would encourage those on the inside. Faith, find out who you are and whose you are, and then education so that you will be empowered and you come out. Because when you come home, you got to find a job. And if you don't have education, they're not hiring you or you won't get those gainful employment jobs of careers that people are looking for. But now I want to I want to move a little further. What I mean by we've talked about those brothers and sisters that are on the inside. But I believe it is our responsibility as a community on the outside as well. And I say this and I know, Bill, you probably heard this a lot when you was incarcerated. There were a lot of men and women that came into the jails or in prison and they preached to us. Jesus this and Jesus that, or I'm praying for you, but they never did anything further than that. I believe that prayer must have hands and feet, not just mouth. And so for the community, I believe that the community also needs to be educated because when the community is educated, then they will start prison reform. And once yes. prison reform starts, then we can start helping those that are on the inside to rehabilitate themselves. Because there are a lot of angry men and women that's incarcerated because they feel like society has A, cut them off, and then B, devalued them. You stated it yourself. Education on, from the community, not just from those that are on the inside. I believe that we work together. You said it about a village. We work together as a team. The the video that I did, the story, remember the story of the, yes. of the village coming together yes. to try to locate the young man? Well, if they would have came together sooner, then I know they would have probably found that young man alive. Well, the same is true in our community today. Churches must come together. Our community must come together. If we don't, when these men and women return, they may not be better. They may be bitter. Yes, yes. So let me ask you another question, Julius. Tell us about your successes, hopes, and dreams. Somebody who's been in the penitentiary for 26 years, I know that a lot things were a lot different when you came out and when you went in. There was some things, because all those people over there like Tanisha with the apple products, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I think when I went in, they had the uh, phones with the little wheel thing on them. And, and you know what I'm saying? And you come out, people got little phones in their ears. Yeah. So tell me about your successes, hopes, and dreams today, man. Because I hear you're doing a lot of things in your life. Tell us about what you're doing, your successes, hopes, and dreams. Well, first, as I've stated, ministry is important to me. Saturday, I was ordained and baptized. Thursday. I officiated my first wedding. I have been given opportunities to go and speak on different platforms to youth groups, but also motivational speaking. That is success to me. When you have an opportunity to influence and impact a community by the words that are coming out of your mouth, by your story, that's what success is to me. And that's what I've been doing these last two years. I've had opportunity to speak to juveniles, uh, opportunities to speak to the homeless. I go from place to place and share my story. But I believe that we all need a platform. You don't have to be a motivational speaker to have a platform. You just need a story. And to me, a story is just one beggar telling another beggar where he or she can find good food. And that's what I try to do. I try to tell other people, be it returning citizens or the community, how we can change our community together. So that is success to me. That's what it looks like. And that's what my passion is 
That's what I'm trying to do. And you gave me, thank you again, an opportunity to be successful today by sharing my story. Man, and I'm just going to be honest with you, man. I wish I could take credit for it. It's a power a lot greater than me. Because <laughs> the only person I'm talking to is Tanisha, man. She, she won't listen, man, for real. She's like, I don't want to hear that. No, as a matter of fact, shout out to Tanisha. She just got through getting her CPS certification. She passed the test last week. She's coming up. Yes, sir. Wow. Shout out to all the people out there who are in search of becoming their best selves, who are in search of living our best lives. I, I am so incredibly grateful to be your partner, be your friend. You were talking about being a motivational speaker. I might be one when I grow up, but I have had an opportunity to go to the White House. As a matter of fact, we are getting ready to go speak at the Accountability Court Judges Conference coming up in September in Athens. Again, part two, a nudge from a judge, you know, and, and we're, we're creating these opportunities and these platforms. I would like to welcome you to partner with us, you know, and, and as a matter of fact, I got a, a call you last week or this week from Kim up there at the jail in Savannah. And she was talking about having somebody come in there trying to get me to come zoom in and do testimony with them. And, and so I want to make sure that I hook you up with her because if my 15 gets paid for, I know 26. <laughs> if, if 15 is clocking 100,000 a year, then you probably are destined for great nights. Yes, sir. So, you know, and I want to, that, that's all I can do, man, is give this thing away because I'm living in the overflow. I am living in the overflow. So I want to definitely turn it in. With that being said, Julius, what message do you have for all the people that are going to hear this recording? What message do you have for the people out there at Radio Land? This is my message. We may have all started out wrong, but we can finish strong. That's what I believe. When we all hear that message, because in honesty, we start in somewhere in our life, we did it wrong. And now at the ending, if you will, of our lives, we can finish strong. And if I believe you, when you see other people, you won't prejudge them. You won't look down on them. You will hear their story. You will give them a platform to say something that will impact. That's what I would say in closing. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. Tanisha, can you tell all the people out there on Radio Land how they'll be able to hear and get these recordings and this messaging? Absolutely. Y'all know how we do it. We always invite y'all to stay connected and how you do that. You can go to our website on rockdalesteppingup.com. On there, you can be connected to all of our social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube all listed under Grit and Grace RCO on the website. You can also go to our Stay Connected page. On our Stay Connected page, you'll find our monthly newsletter that comes out. On that newsletter, we have a monthly uh, message called the Commissioner's Corner from Dr. Doreen Williams, our Rockville County Commissioner. We also highlight a person in recovery as our champion of recovery every month. And there are several recovery resources, community events, community partnerships and collaborations that we have on there. And we highlight an app and different recovery connections for you all. Also, you can um, go to our YouTube channel to get all of um, our videos that we put out on the Commissioner's Corner. You'll see also the Champions of Recoveries if you wanted to go back throughout our library on the YouTube channel. And you can subscribe to our podcast also from our website, so that you can hear these messages at your convenience. They're also listed on Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, and iTunes. So y'all keep coming back. That's what I'm talking about. That's all the stuff we missed while we was doing <laughs> Oh, yes. With that being said, what a privilege it is. Once again, shout out to all our sponsors. Shout out to the judges, all everybody that's been under them cameras trying to help us get this messaging together. 
Shout out to all the doors that are open up to us. All the people that can hear the sound of our voice. Shout out to Dexter Kilgore for being the, the officer that walks me through the jail, man. Come on, man. Quit playing. Man, I never thought the day would come when I would be trying to get in the jail. Come on, man. The, boy, that's the real God we serve. The same one that created the universe. Man, yes. and with that being said, we want to thank you, Julius, and everybody out there at Radio Land. I get this message, and we're going to see y'all again next week. Yay! Wow. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in and feeding your recovery with another episode of the Grit and Grace Recovery Hour. Remember that you can stay connected with us by following us on Facebook and Instagram at Grit and Grace RCO or just keep coming back every Wednesday at 12 noon. Until then, and as always, cherish the chips you hold.